So,、uh, hello everyone. Welcome to Skits Up Heli Podcast, the podcast that keeps on coming every month with Heli goodness and probably talking about some other. Some other hobbies that have consumed some of our some of our hosts, but we'll get to that. So、uh, today we have a very the special only one、guest. to mention there is Javier. Javier, <laughs> I know. Javier, I'm, Javier. I'm all hate mail you can send out to me. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> we'll give out contact information at the end. So, so if you make it that far, you can send all hate mail to me. <laughs> all right. So today we have a very special guest. But before we'll、uh, we'll go through our usual round of introductions. So, Darren, say hi. How's it going, eh? Nice.、Uh, Frank could not join us today, but that's fine. It'll be just、uh, Darren and myself. But we are、uh, making up for that with an awesome with an awesome guest today. So today we have Eric Brandenburg. So Eric, I hope I didn't butcher your name. So welcome to the show. Thanks a lot for having me. You did good. <laughs> All righty. Okay, so uh, usually uh, we'll we'll get started with our usual round of、uh, round robin of quick updates, and then we'll jump right straight into you and go right into the interview, Eric. Okay? Sure. Alrighty. So,、uh, okay, Darren. So you don't want to go first, so because last time you complained about that, so I'll go first. <laughs> okay, sounds good. So、um, in the hobby,、uh, I've done very little, but I have actually done something.、Um, I actually was going to do something else. But I just didn't have time. My temporary hobby consumed me. But we'll get to that first.、Uh, what I did in the hobby, I actually、uh, continued my upload of videos. So I've been、uh, I've been trying to upload every Saturday、uh, flight sim video, and、uh, I think it's it's been going well. I've had、uh, I think I've had a good response, averaging between 100 and 150 views, which is not too bad for my channel. And、uh, you know, I basically have been trying to put into practice getting to know the pair of flips and trying to incorporate them into my into my regular flight. So right now,、uh, of course, it's all over the place. So right now, it, th- there's no semblance of a nice, what I would say, routine. Even though it's not a routine, you know, what I call routine is a flight where you can actually see some flow, you know, through the flight. And make some some nice transitions, you know, not not very complicated or anything, because I'm not at that level. But just that the flight is is not a bunch of maneuvers, but、uh, but but a flow, right? So right now I'm at the bunch of maneuvers phase because I'm just trying to <laughs> get、uh, get a hold of the pair flip. So、uh, I'm trying to see, you know, how I can incorporate that and how I can start to use the rudder more because you know basically up until now. I basically don't use much much rudder other than, of course, for controlling. You know, if I'm if I'm doing a regular maneuver, but not、uh, I'm not like you know flipping the heli and you know coming back on like the opposite direction. You know, things like that. That's what I'm not doing. So that's what I'm trying to do. You know, as I incorporate the pair flips, I try to incorporate that to try to do a little bit of、uh, rudder to do some semblance of transition. So、uh, you know, I keep on practicing that, and hopefully, hopefully, when I start flying、uh, again, when warm weather settles in, I can start trying some some of that out. I've been I've been toying with the idea of installing rescue at least on one of my helis to、oh. do my to do my practice that way to you know to start doing pair flips because what what sometimes happens is that when I go into a pair flip because I'm not yet there, you know, I sometimes lose it. And it just goes to the ground, 
Most of the times it doesn't happen, but sometimes it happens. But of course, in real life, I don't. I just need one time for it to happen for the helicopter to, to crash. So I'm considering do it higher up too, right? I can do them higher up, but there comes there comes a time where I where I lose. Uh, you know, I don't. I, I lose the orientation if I go too high. So that's my problem. So what I'm, what that's why I'm, I'm trying. You know, you know, kind of like you know. Of course, I'm not going to do them at you know the, the 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 altitude that I usually do my flights at. Of course, it would be higher, but not too high. So that's why I'm considering. You know, at an altitude that I can still recover and push rescue, and and try to recover the heli. So I'm thinking what to do because I'm short one neo, because. Uh, my plan is to get the Kraken back up on the air next season, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and but my budget do- doesn't fit a Neo right now. So the budget that I have is for uh, all the electronics that I need for the Kraken, some miscellaneous parts because I I, I damaged the uh, uh, the the swash plate, which is expensive part. Um, yeah. It was it was locked into the into the um, into the shaft, I don't know why. So I fiddled around with it and I damaged the bearing. So, so I'm gonna need a, a new a, a new swash plate. I don't want to disassemble it and put a new bearing. Just I'll just get a new swash plate. You know, with all the money that you spent on those Gundams, you probably could have bought a swash plate. <laughs> I know, I know, you were gonna go there. <laughs> um, so, but you uh, can't tell me I'm wrong. <laughs> you're not wrong. You're not wrong. You're not wrong. And uh, so I need, you know, uh, so I need that. I need the electronics, but I'm short on my budget because I I cannot go past past uh, you know a certain budget this year with 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 the money that I that I'm gonna get get you know from the from the tax refund and from my annual bonus. Um, I'm thinking that I won't be able to fund another neo. Which means that I would have to to remove the Neo from my 420, which I don't really want to do because that thing is flying really, really nice, and that's the one that I would be willing to sacrifice and put rescue on. But if it crashes, you know, it's not going to be as painful as crashing any other heli, right? And and most of the issue is because I need to buy two ESCs, two expensive ESCs, because in theory I, I only need one for the Kraken. But as we know, as we've talked before. You know, I'm, I keep overamping the KSC, so I need to change the ESC on that one. So that means that I need two hobby going to sixties, one for the Kraken and one for the and one for the for the KSC. The one thirty that's in there will go to the five seventy. The one twenty that's on the five seventy will go to the five hundred, and I will recover the five hundred that currently has no ESC. So I would have four big helis in flying condition. Plus the 420, but I'm short one Neo to have the whole fleet flying, and I don't think I can fit that into my budget. So I'm debating about that, and uh, and I and and what I think I can I can I can fit in is rescue for for one Neo, so that I can I can try pair of flipping on that one Kelly. So if that comes to that, you know it'll have to be the 500 that I'll have to do that on, uh, and uh, you know remove the remove the Neo from the 420 and use it on the 500. And see how that goes with a pair of flips. So hopefully, hopefully things things align. I'll see if I can squeeze one out. I'm not sure. Um, you know, try to ske- squeeze one more neo. But of course, again, we are now into the the, the new neo evos, and I really mm-hmm. want one of the of the regular villains of the previous generation. So so I don't know. I'm I'm still debating all of that. But uh, you know, I, I actually did some something. You know 
hobby related, do, you know, doing a little bit of plants. I was actually going to storage charge my batteries, but I, I didn't have time to do that. Uh, why? Because I keep building Gundams. <laughs> um, and that, um, oh, sad. <laughs> that, that, that hobby has consumed me. It's, uh, Sad. Oh my gosh, it's it's getting it's getting serious. But I'm enjoying They're it. Dolls. And you know I I know, I know, but they're They're, they're dolls. I enjoy them, man. I enjoy them. Um <laughs> I um uh, I bought a stand for one of the smaller ones, which is the one that I plan to take to the office and keep it there as display. And so you can play with it while you're working. <laughs> yes. And it's super cool because it it, it you know it, it, it elevates the, the the you know the Gundam and then you can pose like aerial poses because these things are supposed to, you know, be on space, right? So you can put them on different <laughs> poses or like anime-like poses. So it's it's really cool. I'm having fun with it. Uh, but I'm feeling yeah, like it's know. getting to the end. Um, you know, of course, when warm weather season comes in, of course, they will they will getting, be relegated to the shelf. Getting to the end, you just bought a couple more. I know, I know. But uh, but I think that's, well, <laughs> I always say that. But <laughs> <laughs> Yes, exactly. You've been saying that for a while already, and then you keep I know. getting more. Like I know. Like I said before, with all these Gundams that you purchased, you could have bought a new swash plate for your Kraken. I know, I know, because it's it's been getting serious. I have. Um, and the thing is, you need spare parts. I know, gonna, it's, I know. If you, you need to buy your spare parts now, so that when you do crash, it doesn't hurt as much. Well, you know what happens with spare parts. You crash, and all the spare parts you have, you always need to buy something else. That's true. I'm not going to disagree with that, but it means it's going to hurt less when you actually have to buy something. Like yeah, that. yeah. You know, I know, I know, I know. You're right. I know you're right. But, uh, <laughs> but you know, I, I can't, I can't help it. It's been, it's been a ton of fun. <laughs> I'm, I'm having a lot of fun with these things. It's, it's a guilty pleasure. I admit. I admit. Oh, uh, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> But uh, but I guess that's it. You know, that's uh, my adventures on on my short adventures on the hobby, my long adventures with Gundam that I have to cut short in this podcast, or else I risk Darren's wrath. And uh, <laughs> and then uh, and then I uh, I can pass on the ball to your side. So what you been been up to, Darren, since last time? To be honest, I haven't actually done a whole lot in hobby either. Um... We did have indoor flying once since we last recorded. So I did get out there, got a bunch of flights in with my Oxy-2, and then also got a bunch of flights in with my MCPX. And on the very last flight, and yeah, it was literally on the last flight of the day, I smacked that MCPX into the wall really hard. (laughs) It's It actually broke the frame. Uh, that thing yeah so i smacked it into the hall into the wall pretty hard so i have not yet ordered parts i've been pretty lazy on that but the other thing is too we had a bit of a snow apocalypse here and i was completely housebound for several days Uh, i could not leave my so i mentioned last year i had to move and i'm in a new place now and all that we've talked about on the show before And the new place is on a hillside. The road coming up to our place is basically only one lane. And it's very steep. Very steep. And the snow was came down over... Well, we got 13 inches, just under 13 inches of snow in less than 24 hours. 
Yeah. Which is a pretty decent dump of snow. I know. <laughs> and so it was Tuesday night to Wednesday is when the snow fell. Thursday afternoon, there still had not been a single snowplow truck come by our place. So it was still 13 inches of snow on the road. And one of my neighbors decided he was going to try and brave it. And he got down the hill, not a problem. Got out of the neighborhood fine. Coming back up, he's got a four by four. And he had chains on his four by four. And he still got stuck. Wow. Yeah, it was that bad. So yeah, I was kind of housebound, which meant no flying, no nothing. I did say I was going to start working on my scale machine. To be honest, I haven't done any of that yet. I've just been kind of lazy and I was doing a lot of other stuff as well. Music and podcast editing and stuff like that. Playing around with the new software that, uh, that we were able to get for the thought for the podcast. And yeah, uh, I did do some simming the, uh, few days ago too. Me and Steve actually got on the sim together and, uh, was working on a few things. One thing I've always struggled with is, believe it or not, just a basic hurricane. I can do forward flight. I can do circuits, not a problem. I can even get them fairly quick, but I can't get it to where the point where it's almost on that knife edge like that, like you usually see guys do with a true hurricane. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it just, I just struggle with that. I just cannot seem to get it in the air. So Steve actually was helping me a little bit with that and got them a little bit better. Still not great, but a little bit better. And, uh, yeah. And to be honest, sad as it is, that's really about all I've done in the hobby since we recorded last. So pretty boring this, this episode actually. Yeah. Well, to, to be honest, it hasn't been that much you know, that much of time. It hasn't been our usual month, but still shame on you. Shame on you. Dan. Shame on you. Yeah. Well, at least I'm not buying Gundams and wasting money on things like that, but you're the one that should be leveraging that, <laughs> right? I mean, it should be like a balance. I mean, I go too much Gundam, then should, you should bring back more Hallies, right? Sorry. Say that again. How, <laughs> what do you mean? You, you need to, you need to help balance out my friend. I mean, you're the one that needs to push for more heli stuff. Well, yeah, of course, like I say, I can't really fly in Canada now anyway. So we're actually, my flying club, we're having a meeting here this, this weekend. Now our annual general meeting is happening this weekend. So that should be, it could be an interesting meeting this year. Yeah, I bet. Because I know, I suspect one of our members, one or a couple of our members might place uh, uh, a recommendation that we consider leaving Mac as a club as well, given all the BS that's been happening up here in Canada. So we'll wow. see. Okay. But that's, that's to come. So, and okay. I will most likely be resigning my, pre- my position as vice president of the club as well, because I need to be a Mac member in order to stay vice president of the club. So, and I don't right. want to give Mac any more of my money. So, yeah, I really, uh, yeah, I really haven't done a whole lot in the hobby. Otherwise I've been busy with a bunch of other things too. So helping out family and with some of their stuff too. So, yeah. Okay. But, okay. Yeah. All right. All righty. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fortunately, we have Eric and I hope Eric that you're going to be able to rescue us. So, um, 
So a Eric, flying so far this year. A little <laughs> bit of indoor. Nice, nice. Tell us all about it, Eric. Yeah, one of the local high schools. We get to uh, rent it out on Wednesdays, so from six to nine, we're tearing it up in there. Cool. That's what we do Fridays. There you go. Yeah, it's a little bit small for helicopters there. Unfortunately, it's a little more airplane oriented, but those are fun too. Well, do you find the little M two in there? Do you find it small, like you say, small for helicopters? Because I find airplanes, like we do just in elementary school, and we find helicopters, it's not so bad. It's airplanes where it gets too small for. Yeah, the big issue for me, at least with the M2, it's just so agile and quick. The canopy I have just happens to blend in with the decor there, so the canopy just becomes invisible. (laughs) So it's really just hard to keep orientation more than anything. Yes, yes, I can see that. I can see that. My Oxy2 is similar. I don't lose orientation on that. With the, with the background, but the Oxy 2 is the same way, just way too quick and small. And I use it mostly just for a lot of hover orientation type practices and whatnot. Yeah, those are good helicopters for that. And uh, Javier, yep. you mentioned you're interested in learning more PuroFlip stuff. I'm going to upload this article for you. I wrote this in 2011 for RC Helimag specifically on learning PuroFlips and other assorted pirouetting maneuvers. Oh, there you so go. Something you can try for free before you go on upgrade. Mm-hmm. Nice. But yeah, essentially, yeah. Uh, the process is hovering, pirouetting while hovering, learn to stabilize that in one spot, then learn to kind of drift that in one spot to another in a pretty controlled straight line, and then from there, different geometric shapes, and eventually work that into a box, then into a circle, and then you have your pirouetting hurricanes, and then eventually learn to do that vertically, and then you become doing, you know, pyro loops, pyro flips, things of that nature. So it's a good step-by-step guide for that. Nice, nice. That that'll actually help. A little me. dated. Yeah, that'll that'll be fine, and and that that could actually help because I still have my Nano S two, which I used to do, you know, basement practice with. So I may actually, you know, because I can I can, you know, do that. I mean, I can I can do pirouetting practice. I don't think that it'll it has enough power to actually do a pirouette, but you know, for sure it can. We're I can just doing it upright. Do some, yeah, really. yeah, just upright yeah, and inverted. Up just- yeah. Yeah. Just maintain control, keep it stable, keep it in place. And, you know, even just hovering, you know, upright through the tail both directions, that'll really build a lot of skills quickly. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Bring it on. I'll I'll check that out for sure. Uh, beyond that, uh, for me, it's just been a little bit of 3D printing as well. It's been one of my other side hobbies for the last few years. I've been doing a little bit of uh, accessory making for some of the airplane guys locally. Cool. Nice. Get a big Terminator head for a guy's Edge 540, and then uh, there's another local guy that's got a scale Dauntless, and he did a scale thousand pound droppable bomb. I'm sure on my list now all the times I looked up bomb on my computer making that thing. <laughs> You're on an FBI watch list now. <laughs> oh yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Nice, nice. Okay, cool, cool. Oh, so Eric. So now that you've told us a little bit of what you've been doing lately, why don't you tell us a, a little bit about yourself so that uh, our audience can get a little bit acquainted to you? Now, as a little introduction, I was uh, at the event where I where I where I briefly met you at the uh, G-Town event, and uh, I remember that I was I was you know walking, and then I saw this crazy, super fast, low to the ground hurricane. You know, kind of like, you know, what Cal Stacy or, you know, one of those pros do. And I was like, what the heck? And I turned around and it was you and it was like, but you were like halfway through the flight or or more. And I was like, oh, my gosh, why didn't didn't I video this? So that's where 
where I went uh, and approached you and see if you wanted to be on the podcast. Uh, so, um, so well, Eric, why don't you um, introduce yourself a little bit to the audience, you know, kind of like how you got started in the hobby and how you eventually uh, went into the actual competition circuit. And uh, we can take it from there. Sure, sure. Yeah, like I said, uh, as well as lately, you know, I started out with airplanes. And in, in most clubs, you'll find that the airplane crowd tends to be on the older side. When I first got into it, I was 12. So locally, it just happened to be that there was quite a bit of younger guys flying helicopters. So I started to just kind of gravitate towards that because that was where my friend base ended up being. And just slowly from there, yeah, just started practicing flew for a few years and then uh year i graduated high school saw that the xfc which was one of the bigger contests in the u.s at the time they had a uh, wild card slot for the competition so anybody could just compete for a spot on site to try and get in you know compete with the invitational guys and a couple of weekends of practice and a buddy of mine went down there as my caller and managed to get in nice wow. so that was really my break into competition flying you know i'd done a lot of just flying locally traveled to fun flies prior to that i uh, did a little bit of experimentation with a custom fly barless unit called the pro bar way back in the day that was actually something i flew at the xfc that first time that was back in the day when it was pretty much just the v bar that was a that was a big accomplishment for me back in the time and a few other guys uh, carlo francis mm-hmm. one of my buddies down in florida uh chris Harmon was another test pilot guys that haven't been in the hobby in a while but they made some really innovative gear back then that Unfortunately, didn't make it to market, but it was quite the product. Hmm. Yeah, I don't remember hearing about that one. Yeah, that was uh, an interesting setup. Uh, back in the day, before the V-Bar was what it is today, it was pretty much just them, and you had quite a bit more electronics that would get mounted in the helicopter. There were pedo tubes, and the gyro technology wasn't quite what it is, and some buddies of mine thought they could try and make something on par or better, and started out at first with a two-axis system so just roll and pitch then eventually we made that a little bit more diverse setup where we were able to integrate it with the existing tail gyros back when everybody still had a fly bar you know you typically had a tail gyro as well Mm -hmm. so we thought maybe making something as like a mid-stage upgrade where you could just add this to the helicopter and use your existing gyro and then it would read your tail input from the radio so it kind of have a pure wetting compensation based on the inputs you were giving so it was kind of trying to make it into a three-axis gyro Ooh, without okay. having all three in one unit so that was kind of an interesting setup that they developed back then because that's kind of similar to what skookum was trying to do back then with that skookum 360 as well because they were still running uh an external tail gyro as well but i don't think it was integrating like i don't think it was actually taking reading any stick movements from your transfer. Yeah, that was one of the things that our programmer really was innovative on at the time is just being able to compensate for pirouette wobbles and things of that nature. That was kind hmm. of a difficult issue with fly barless units way back then. So Yeah, I remember that. It was impressive what we were able to produce independently. Hmm. That's interesting because that's back. So would that have been back around the same time? Was that would have been uh, 2008, 2009. Yeah, okay. So... Yeah, it was 2009 I did the first XFC. It was on a Logo 600 with that fly barless setup. Huh, that's cool. What was it called again? It was called the Pro Bar. Uh, you might oh, find some cool. old forum posts about it, but I think a lot of that stuff would have been on Run Rider at the time, but there may have been yeah. some stuff on Heli Freak. I've actually still got a few old units. Just keep huh. them as keepsakes. That's really cool. Yep, yeah, our, our uh, developer went on to work for Lockheed Martin. He was on to bigger and better things. <laughs> there you go. 
that was quite an interesting time getting to travel around and work with those guys. Learned a lot. It was a lot yeah, of fun. Definitely. Definitely. So anyways, go on with your your getting it tried into or you got into XFC. Sure, yeah. So in two thousand nine did the XFC the first time and um following that I was noticed by outrage and at the following urge I had a conversation with Henry Caldwell and <laughs> lo and behold I became an outrage team pilot. So that was my first full ride sponsorship. So that was when in my mind I hit the big time as a young yeah, really. kid who was uh you know, broke college kid at the time trying to get into it, so that was a huge help for me. And they were a big, big team, too. Yeah, yeah, they uh, they put a lot of money into that whole project. They had a good yeah. group going for quite a while. Yeah, they did. So, yeah, then with my time with Outrage, then the uh, the following year in 2010, I did the 3D Masters in Venlo, Holland. That was definitely one of the crowning achievements of my RC career, if you want to call it that. So getting That's to go cool. there on the company dime was really cool. Yeah, really. That was quite nice. the event. Got to meet Tariq. Yeah, really. Oh, yeah, that would have been cool. So how did you actually get started in RC in the first place? Um, you know, I was, in general, always into aviation. Uh, we went to a lot of air shows as a kid, you know, but due to our financial situation, full scale was just way out of the question, but... RC was kind of something we could reach. Uh, my dad, when he was a kid, he used to do control line planes, if you guys have ever seen that stuff before. So I had yeah. a little bit of exposure to that from uh, him and some of my older relatives that had done that way back in the day. And uh, just from there, like I said, flew airplanes a little bit and got into it. And aviation's always been something I've been passionate about. So your dad was into RC, did RC flying as well? or did you uh, Not into RC, but just... Uh, just the control line stuff when he was a kid. So that was something like when I was a little kid, I got one of the little cheapy uh, Cox 049 control mm-hmm. line setups. And that was kind of my first thing that really flew. And yeah, just from messing around with that, as unsuccessful as it was, I was still hooked. Had to had to keep <laughs> going bigger and bigger. So he never took, went to the field with you or took you out to the field when he was flying or anything like that? No, my dad was, uh, he was a guitar player, so he was pretty into his band stuff. That was his thing. Ah, uh, okay. Okay. So well, that's still yeah, no, kind of cool. Drop me off at the field and, uh, and go out there and practice every weekend. Back when I was really practicing hard, I would do a lot of simulator time as well. I used to go for about six hours a night every day for a few years leading into that XFD run. <laughs> so maybe that's what maybe get myself in. Yeah, really. That would have been the real flight days then, I guess. Yep. Yeah. G two, G three, G three and a half. That was. Uh, Quite a lot of time on those back in the day. Yeah. Had a lot of friends through the online multiplayer and met amazingly enough. A lot of lifelong yeah. friends. That's pretty cool. So what was it that actually drew you to the helicopters itself then? Because you say you you there were you know, there was younger guys who were already were doing the helicopters and whatnot. Was it was it just because of them or was there something extra about the actual helicopters too? Oh, well, beyond just uh, the, the age gap difference between them, the helicopter guys just seemed like they were always having more fun. It just seemed like they were a little bit more competent at actually getting their stuff flying and having a good time, and they seemed to be a lot more active. We had kind of a unique setup at our field where we had, a, it was a city-county-owned uh, field, and then there was an airplane club and a helicopter club, and were both optional to join. So at the time, the, the helicopter club just seemed to be where it was at, and then from there, you know, just started getting into them hmm. so i got my first raptor 50 when i was 14 wow raptor 50 i think it was a titan i believe with the metal head block 
That was my yeah. first setup. Wow. How did you save money for that? Those were not cheap. Yeah, that was a gift from mom and dad. Wow, that's and, nice. uh, just from there, yeah, you know, just practiced with that, practiced on the simulator. I mean, I I would say that I flew probably four or five to one in the simulator versus in reality. Hmm. I know a whole lot of simulator practice. That was that was my mantra. Is, you know, you can always hit the reset button and it's free. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Anything you want to practice out, you know, it doesn't hurt the real helicopters. Do it in real flight. Yeah, yeah. Because, yeah, those Raptor 50s, especially that Titan, that was like the top kind of thing other than the 90s, really. Those were, those were like some of the best helicopters. They were so incredibly common, too. I mean, everybody had a Raptor or a T-Rex 600 once they started getting popular, too. Yep, yeah. It was pretty much what everybody had, so that's what I ended up getting just on the advice of everybody locally. said, you know, fly with the local guys, fly. That way they can help you fix it, they can help you build it, they can help you, you know, diagnose it, and that was a huge saving grace. I couldn't imagine of been trying to figure that out on my own. Definitely have a yeah. lot of uh, advantages being in a club where everybody can help you out like that. Yeah. So what did you move on to from there, then? Uh, from there... I played around with the the T-Rex, as you mentioned. Uh, when those things started coming on the scene, I ended up getting a T-Rex 450 SE after that. That was a lot of fun, just <laughs> playing with something smaller. You could just fly at the park. You don't have to go all the way out to the field or you know take the school and fly it after school in a park somewhere. That's but, another uh, one that everybody and their dog had. Oh, yeah. I remember the original variant where it even looked like the little Raptor with the mechanical CCPM. Yeah. I got into it just after those that the, that original 450. So, but yep. yeah, there, it was like days. even the airplane guys, even all the airplane guys, they all had were buying T Rex 450s as well. It was kind of interesting watching all uh, these airplane guys trying to learn how to fly a helicopter on a T Rex 450 with the with the landing or the uh, oh the the the, the, the tennis ball or the. Yeah, the training yep. gear all sticking away out like that, and uh, guys putting lights on there to go and help them with orientation and all kinds of things like that. Yeah, I remember all that those days. <laughs> the good old GY four hundred one. Actually, I was going through off topic, but I was actually going through a bunch of my old stuff the other day, and I found I got an old Spartan DS seven sixty gyro still sitting here, and I got an old Futaba GY four hundred one kicking around here still too. So yeah. <laughs> that Spartan stuff was good stuff. I actually uh, still have a Spartan Vortex in my XL Power 700 that I fly. Yeah, yeah. No, they were, especially those old tail gyros of theirs, man. They were really good tail gyros. Yeah, Angelos was innovative. You know, at the time yeah. it was, you know, the Fataba, you know, 601, and that was really it if you wanted something good. And that, you yeah. know, gave you the supreme holding power compared to the 401, but. The yep. 760 not only did it hold amazingly well, but it pirouetted really, really consistently. So for people yep. that are into pirouetting maneuvers, that made a huge difference at the time. Yeah. So it didn't help me any because I was still just barely in the hovering stage at that time, but <laughs> it was still kind of nice having it. <laughs> I like D'Angelo's. He made good stuff. Yeah. I don't think he's in the hobby anymore, is he? I don't believe so. I think he's uh, moved on to like more commercial drone sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. A lot of the OG guys from back in the day have kind of gravitated towards industrial drones or photography work or things of that nature. Yeah, yeah. Well, I still keep the Facebook connection with a former Outrage pilot, too, of uh, Alvin Chai, who used to live out here. Okay, yeah, I remember Alvin. We flew together a few times. 
Yeah. And, uh, cause he, I live in, I live in BC, Canada and that's where Alvin lived here out here for, for quite a few years. Right. So I actually got to fly mm-hmm. with him a number of times as well. Really good guy, but he's gotten pretty much into commercial drone stuff now too. So, which is too bad, but oh well. Yeah. From my understanding, it's a big money maker. Yep. It is. Yeah, it definitely is. So anyways, fast forward into, you know, you, you, well, or shouldn't say fast forward, moving forward, you got into, you got some T-Rex 600s and did you ever take a break from the hobby then for a while then too? get into girls and all that kind of stuff as a teenager or did you always stick I went with it? Pretty hard till about 2013. That was, uh, that was when I went, met my now wife. That, that was what really put the brakes on things for quite a while. But, uh, yeah, you know, after the, the Raptor stuff, I eventually uh, fooled around with some Avant stuff back in the day, way back with the uh, mm-hmm. Aurora release fiasco, if you were around during those times. Yeah. I think I had one yeah. of the original kits that came from Helipros back then, and quite the machine. I remember back in the fly bar times, that yeah, was a really cool programmable head setup that you had on that. Yeah, yeah. Never actually got to see any of those uh, in person that, that when I was around, or when I was starting back then, but... I do remember them. Yeah, yeah, I've still got my old kit just uh, sitting in mothballs in the basement. Still got most of my old stuff from back then, just remembering the good times. Yeah. So where is it that you're located then? I originally was in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Now I just live about uh, 45 minutes north of there. Okay. So, okay, we got we to gotta give Javier the gears then. Are you flying outdoors at this time of year too, or are you like Javier and hibernating for the winter? Uh, you could, in theory, do it. Uh, I've actually got a little flying site on my property here. I've got four acres out in my backyard that I've got cleared out, and I've got a little runway set up in there and a couple of helipads so I can take my side-by-side out there. And if you really wanted to, you could fly. I've got a little heated uh, radio holder box glove thing, and... You could do it, but uh, I haven't done it myself yet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so Javier, you got you've got somebody sticking up for you then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's the way to do it. I mean, it's, it's not worth it. It's a hobby. You have to have fun, right? I mean, if you were like like if you were back on competition or anything, I mean, of course you would have to to practice, you know, as much as you could, right? I mean, you probably put in a little some, more hard some about that sort of thing when I was younger. Right. Right. So how old were you when you went to X- XSC then, you said? Uh, I would have been 18 at the time. Okay. Yep, fresh out of high school. A buddy of mine and I thought, you know, figured I could do the required maneuvers to try and try out, and hey, what the hell, maybe I'll get in, and I did. Because hmm. <laughs> where was, was XSC being held at that time? That was in Muncie, Indiana. It was in Muncie, okay. It was a- Yep, yeah, it was originally in Ohio, and then they moved it to the AMA flying site after that. Mm-hmm. So, you got your parents to drive you out there and whatnot to go and... To, I don't mean, my buddy just went there alone. That was the little adventure oh, okay. for us after graduating. Yeah. Well, yeah, Road 18, trip. you would have your, lic- your license and get a vehicle, and away you go. Yeah, yeah, it was fun. Got to rub nice. elbows with all the big shots. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's like, well, okay. And was, was there a little bit of a starstruck thing for you then too, when you got out there to do any of that, or had you already met some of those big pilots by then? Absolutely. I mean, it's one thing to meet the guys. It's another thing to be flying there with them. So that's, yeah. it's kind of an intimidation factor. All these people you've seen on the internet and videos, you know, there they are for real and they're your contemporaries now. 
Yeah, it's always pretty cool. I mean, even now when I went to Urcha this year, I'm, you know, I'm, uh, it, it doesn't always seem like it on the podcast, but I am actually a, usually a pretty quiet, fairly relatively shy guy and not really one to go and break into a conversation all like that. And so it was definitely a little intimidating in some ways trying to go and talking with some of these people out there. That's for sure. Some of these world-class pilots. Yeah, yeah, you know, everybody I've ever met's always been super friendly and talkative. They've always been nice guys. I've never, you know, met a hothead, mean guy in RC. Yes, that's true. But you still get, I still get a little bit tongue-tied and shy. <laughs> <laughs> it's the same thing on the other side. When people come up to you and you don't know, and they know your name, but you don't know theirs, that can be a little weird at first, too. No, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> I remember uh, when I was at the Masters of all places, I'd ran into a couple of Russian guys that had actually uh, read that article I just sent you guys. That blew my mind that some guys in Russia had written, you know, read my article. Hmm. Yeah, really. So, and that makes reminds me, so how did you actually get into being writing an article for RC Helimag? Was it, were you a regular contributor or was that just a one-time thing? No, I, uh, I did write a handful of articles. Um, I'm on a few different topics. The initial thing was when I was flying with Outrage, they'd uh, done an interview with me and just did some spec stuff on the gear I was running at the time. And based on my con- my conversing with Mike, the owner there, uh, they thought I was a good writer and just seemed interested in hearing more what I had to say on just technique or setup or things of that nature. So I did a few articles for him. It was a good job, too. I liked it. So how did that work then like did they give you a topic or was you were you the one that came up with the topic or how did that all work then uh generally you know the whole thing was you know you're a pro pilot so what what's your point of view on either different setups or you know how would you say somebody should configure their helicopter for one type of flying versus another or what's you know in this case what's a good way to learn this type of maneuver so they kind of gave me some freedom for different things i'd pitch them a topic and they're pretty open to about everything okay Unfortunately, they went under, but uh, that, yeah. that was a good ride there. Oh, I remember that. I remember reading that magazine. I probably probably read a number of your articles, too, because <laughs> I used to read those things cover to cover, everything, right, all the way through. So yep, Yeah, back in the day, it was them, and uh, there was also MHT. He was a local guy as well. I believe he was based in Wisconsin somewhere, model helicopter technique. Don't remember that one. Yeah, I'm dating myself a little bit there. Yeah, <laughs> they were, I don't uh, remember. They're more big in the mid 2000s, roughly. Because I remember RC Heli Mag and and, and Rotor World from out in England. Those are yep. the two big ones that I remember reading. And of course, you know there was still oh, not Model Airplane News. What was that other one? That big RC plane one. Every once in a while, they would have uh, helicopter articles in there too. Oh, it's going to bug me now. <laughs> That's the one that everybody, you know, has no knew for years. That was like the big, they used to always include a set of plans in the middle of the, fu- in the middle of the magazine. That's the uh, RC modeler. That's what it is. Yes. RC modeler. Yeah. Yeah. You used to always look in that magazine and scour for the hell, any helicopter articles and any of the helicopter ads and all the time in, in those, in that magazine too before I discovered the actual helicopter magazines. It's a little disappointing you don't have publications like that anymore. It is. It's a little different than the uh, the forum discourse, or nowadays not even the forum discourse, but you know Facebook groups. Yep. Sometimes it's nice to have your information a little bit curated. 
Yeah. I mean, well, yeah. Unfortunately, you know, magazines are typically several months lead time too. So your information isn't always up to date either, but man, I do miss, I miss having a paper magazine to read. It's really a lot of what it is, right? Yeah. That's definitely uh, memories of a different time. Yeah. Yeah. And it was always something special about when the next magazine would come out and oh, what did they, what did they review and who are they interviewing and what's the latest articles and so on and so forth. I always, yeah, I quite enjoyed reading every one of those magazines every month. How many articles did you write for them? I think I did three of them over the years. Okay. I did the one on pirouetting practice. I believe I did one on fly barless blade design. And then I think I might have done another one on paddle design, if I remember correctly. I'd have to look them up. So actually on the design. So have you actually gotten into designing of aircraft, of helicopters then? Well, the design in sense of, uh, like, back in the day, fly barless rotor blades used to matter significantly more than they do nowadays. For the, for the antiquated systems, you essentially had to have a center of gravity that was much towards the tip of the uh, of the blade rather than an inward CG just to enhance mm-hmm. the natural mechanical stability of the helicopter just because the gyro compensation wasn't quite what it is now. Yes. So yes, if you had a more aggressive that. fly bar oriented really light blade, typically you get a lot of like pitching up or what they used to call porpoising and fast forward flight. So just general instability and by reconfiguring the blades, you were able to eliminate a lot of that. Just generally heavier blades cordwise CG a little bit more towards the leading edge rather than the trailing edge. Yeah. Although I do remember there were a few guys that actually liked to fly the fly barless blades on fly barred helicopters. Yeah, you know, generally a, like a fly barless blade at the time was really not too different than like an FAI or F3C blade. So, you know, your average 690 that might weigh, say, 170-ish grams might now weigh, you know, 190, which yeah. doesn't sound like a lot, but it made a big difference. Yeah. Well, I remember when I first switched to fly barless too, I, my first fly barless was a V-bar 5.0 and I didn't have enough money to buy proper blades yet. So I stuck with my old fly bar blades on, uh, on the helicopter. I'd had a T-Rex 600 and I bought the RJX conver- head conversion and stuck the, uh, the V-bar 5.0 on it and just stuck with the regular fly bar blades for several months until I crashed it. And that's when I finally went and bought the fly barless ones. Yeah, it flew great. Yeah. Generally, uh, it gives it a much more snappy response. That's for sure. You know, mechanically, when you up the weight of the blades, you do lose a little bit of responsiveness. So compared to today's modern electronics, you know, you can kind of go back to a more traditional fly bar blade of the day and you can get a lot of that performance back. Now the, con- the control loop can stabilize it a little bit better. Mm-hmm. I have to say the newest V bar iteration. I flew at Urcha this year. was very, very impressive. I was never much of a V-bar guy back in the day, but I was quite impressed. Yeah, I believe it was the latest and greatest. It was the helicopter Tony Tony Whitesides I flew at the time. Okay. So what is it that you have now on your fleet? Uh, Currently, I've got an XL Power 700, the original V1, and uh, got an OMP M2 V2 version, not the most recent one. And I've got a Steam 550. That's the current fleet. Is that one of the new Steam Steams or one of the older ones? Uh, not the newest edition, the AK700. That's the the newest one that's just come out now. But uh, 
It was the series that Tony started importing this summer at HardcoreRCProducts.com. He brought in the MK550 and the MK600, and he's also currently working on a 690 stretch based on the 600. Okay. Okay. Yeah, it's an interesting-looking plastic-framed helicopter. No canopy design, bright orange frames or bright green frames. Very smooth-flying, belt drive. I have a buddy out here that has one of those, too. Uh, the 600 size and uh, yeah he <laughs> really likes it really nice flying helicopter so he's had his for yeah, for the money you can't beat it he got his actually before they changed the name to steam so he's had his for a few <laughs> years already so yeah from my understanding that original design was released in like maybe 2015 or 16 it's been around for quite a while something like that yeah it has been a, quite a while yeah didn't catch on very much. Yeah, my understanding was it never really uh, took place in the market for the most part, and then Tony no. brought it in uh, over this summer, like I said, and he seems to have popularized it quite a bit, and now they've got the 700 coming in as well, the AK-700, the new version. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, hopefully they can get a little more traction here in North America again, because they are definitely a different helicopter. For, although I think the new one uses a canopy now, does it not? The current iteration does, yeah. The the yeah. seven hundred is a more traditional carbon stack frame design. Yeah, that other plastic one. I don't know how, Javier if you've ever actually seen one of them, but they're definitely an interesting looking helicopter. That's for sure. They look almost like a robot kind of thing in some ways. Yeah, Gundam. Look <laughs> <laughs> to it for sure. It, it can be polarizing, but it grows on you. I like the bright colors. It's real easy to orient in the air, despite not having a canopy on it, and the lack of canopy keeps all your electronics nice and cool, so the speed control is getting tons of airflow. Yeah, yeah. How are they to crash? From my understanding, I actually uh, haven't seen anybody break the frames on them yet. It's always just been, you know, generally blades, tail boom, maybe a main shaft. So from my understanding, from everything I've seen, they seem to be pretty durable. Hmm, okay. You haven't crashed yours? I had a couple of tip-overs with mine. Uh, I have an old antiquated Beast X flybarless unit that I think started crapping out on me in Urchin. I had a couple of tip-overs with it on spool-up and just took out a couple of sets of blades. Okay. But uh, no, no actual real crashes. Yeah. Okay. That's the one thing I would be curious. But it'd be you know comparable to everything else. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what about electronics? What do you run? Um. Well, I've got a set of MKS five ninety nines that I'm waiting to put into the next helicopter. But uh, in the MK, I've got some some older uh, Outrage Torque brushless servos from way back in the day, and then my XL Power, I've got some really old Protec cordless servos from back in the day. I've been rocking all 10-plus-year-old you know, gear in these things, and it's nice. keep working. Nice. What about flybars, transmitters? That's very much a vintage setup. I mean, I pretty much just uh, a couple of years ago decided to dust some of these things off and just stuff the gear into something again and start using them. And, yeah, really? And pretty good, other than the uh, potential Beast X issue. Yeah. What about your fly bar list and transmitters and stuff like that? Uh, I've got both a Spectrum IX-12 and a Fataba 16IZ, and I by far prefer the Fataba. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've got any experience with the IX-12, but the Android operating system they put in there is a, a little bit buggy. <laughs> yeah, we've had a few of them at our field. And, yeah. Actually, one guy really liked his. His actually did, has done, he hasn't had any major real issues with it, but... Uh, he got a little bit, he just wanted to try something different and he has switched to, to another brand now, but he, one of the guys never had any problem. Another guy did have a bunch of problems with his, so I don't know. 
Yeah, to me, just having both radios, personally, I don't think the build quality is nearly as nice on the Spectrum. The Fataba just feels like you're kind of getting what you paid for more when you hold it in your hands. And I'm looking forward to trying the Fataba Flybarless unit. I've got one of their newer ones on the, on the shelf. That's kind of their answer to the V-Bar as far as having like a radio programmable setup. So I've heard good things about it. We'll see. Yeah, the 760? Yep. Yeah, it sounds like like you should probably put those newer servos on your... Excel Power, put the uh, Futaba Gyro and start playing around with that. Yeah, we'll see. I may, I may just leave the servos at first just to have a direct comparison from one flybrowless unit to another, but uh, yeah, that's probably where it'll end up going. What flybrowless are you currently using? It's a Spartan Vortex in that thing right now. Okay. And at the time when I kind of started petering out around 2013, that was my unit of choice. That to me, from everything I flew at the time, that was the king. Yeah. I always wanted to try one of those. The never, ma- main reason being the just the pure white compensation was very, very good at the time. That was something that was critically important for me. Mm-hmm. You didn't go with the Jetty then either, back back then? No, nope, no, I never tried any Jetty stuff myself. Because I think that was one of the big things with the Spartan too was matching that up with the Jetty. I remember a lot of guys doing that, the Jetty-Spartan combo, because that's what Burt Kammerer was running for a number of years, right? Oh, that could be. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I think that he was like the main Spartan seller, well, retailer for a while. So, yeah. 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 And there was actually a BK edition of the Jetty radio at the time, too. Can't remember exactly which model it was, whether it was the 12 or the 18 or something like that. But yeah, they had a BK version of the Jetty as well. And it would come preloaded with a bunch of the the things that Bird always used on his transmitter. Yeah. 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 I remember that one. I remember losting for that one. I mean, that was a pretty sick radio. <laughs> yep. All the jet guys seem to like the jetty stuff. It's yeah. going to be pretty popular in the big airplane side of things. Yes. Oh, well, I have actually heard of guys using uh, V-Control for jets as well, actually. It's not common, but I have heard of it. Because those macro cells, once you learn how to program those macro cells, they're pretty powerful, those things. It's, uh, it's, it's pretty interesting what those things are capable of doing. Yeah. Once you learn how to program them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It definitely is, 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 uh, is, is a good system that has a lot of capability that most people don't tap into. I think that most people just like the, you know, the integration and ease of use of it. Yeah. Which is why I got it in the first place. Yeah. So do you have any sponsors then? No. Uh, my buddy Tony at Hardcore RC Products helps me out from time to time, but I'm not, uh, you know, formally sponsored or competing or doing any of that anymore. The no. days are behind me. <laughs> no, no, I'm just flying for fun. Yeah. That's the best way to fly. Well, no strings and, attached. Well, and I guess that's the thing. Like, I, you know, and we've kind of briefly talked about it before. Like, you know, so it's you, it, it, that's, I'm assuming that's been a conscious decision of yours to not pursue any sponsors at this point. Pretty much. Yeah. I mean, I don't really have the interest or the time for doing that anymore. It was fun when I was younger. It's a young man's game. Get yeah. Kids do it. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's got its advantages and disadvantages too, right? I mean, that's that's the thing. I mean, I've said for years I don't really want to get a, a sponsor myself either, simply because it's like I want to fly what I want to fly. And uh, yeah, you know, it can be disappointing if you know company puts something out and you just have to fly because that's what they put out, and you might not like it or it's got some problem, yeah. and you got to shill for the company saying it's not a problem, and you know, just buy this upgrade or you know, whatever. <laughs> I never cared no. for that side of being a sponsored pilot. Yeah, it's not a problem. It's a feature. 
<laughs> yep, an upgradable fix. <laughs> oh yeah. I mean, it has its advantages too. You know, you can you get some of the leading edge stuff. Did you ever do any actual testing or design work then too? We didn't do any formal design work. Just you know, testing. We'd give our feedback, things of that nature. Yeah. So when I uh, when I went to the 3D Masters, that was on a prototype Velocity 90 Nitro at the time, and that was one of the issues we'd had there. Is you know, because it was a prototype, we didn't have a ton of spares. It wasn't the helicopter I actually wanted to bring there. I personally wanted the Fusion 50 electric because I thought it flew better. But you know, you got to be a company man. If that's what they want you to fly. That's what you fly. So you know. Yeah. I think yeah. that. Uh, and sponsored gives you a lot of avenues to do things that you might not ordinarily get to do, but mm-hmm. in the long run, I would say for any young people listening that they, you know may want to go that route, focus on school, get yourself a good job, and sponsor yourself. That's the most fun. Yeah, because it's it's not all it's cracked up to be. That's for sure. Yeah, you know, that can take some of the fun out of the hobby where it becomes just kind of a chore. You start feeling like you're working. You can't really practice. If you go fly someplace, you always have to feel like you're doing a demo and you can't really just relax. And that can in some ways hold you back because you end up practicing less or you're focused on, you know, I got to go to this event or that event or there's a competition coming up. And me personally, yeah. I always considered flying at a very high level, almost performance art, and I always felt like that kind of took away from my art. I started worrying about the other things rather than just the flying itself. Mm-hmm. Did you actually enjoy the competitions, though, or not really? Practicing for a competition definitely, you know, makes you a better pilot. It focuses you to worry about things you might have overlooked or might have, you know, ignored as far as weaknesses and your abilities and that's good, but at the same time, it ends up being a huge, huge time suck that ends up just kind of not working out in the end. If you win, it might work, but <laughs> mm-hmm. it's a lot of a lot of effort to go and practice and not do very well. And you know, then if you don't do well, your sponsors might have a problem with that, and mm-hmm. all that that entails. It just adds a lot of pressure on it. Yeah, tell me this then. When you were practicing, would you always take somebody else with you to go and try and judge your flight and something, you know, hopefully try and get somebody that could actually see what was going on so that you can sort of break it down a little bit better and figure out where you needed to. Yeah, generally, you know, when I was practicing for a changes? serious event like that, I'd have my caller that would normally call for me and they know what the set maneuvers are and they know what they're supposed to look like so people can, you know, watch and give you feedback and. Generally, I find that you kind of end up being your own worst enemy. You're way more critical of your own flying than anybody else might notice. Because that's how it was for me. Yeah, I'm just wondering whether there's certain times when maybe uh, somebody that, like your caller or something like that might be able to actually spot something that you can't because you're concentrating so hard on actually just getting through the maneuver kind of thing that maybe he, your caller, you know, if they know what they're doing anyways, can spot something that maybe you're not necessarily able to spot sometimes too. Yeah, I know, especially, uh, you know, in the heat of competition, say something comes loose, looks like a bolt's falling off, that's a good, helpful eye to have on your back. Yeah. Because how many hours a day would you practice then for when you were getting ready for competition? Or how often would you practice? Like I said, I would do about six hours a day on the simulator, and then once I was confident with what I was going to go practice for real, then I would try to, you know, do at least several flights on a you know weekend day to be able to go do that. Yeah, that's... Uh... 
That's a lot of flying. <laughs> yeah, and like I said, I tried to perfect as much as I can on the simulator, so that way when I actually went and was flying for real and risking breaking something, that I felt like I'm not going to make any stupid mistakes crashing it because you know I don't know how to do the maneuver and I might mess it up. It's more just you know I I need to perfect it on the real thing now. That was always my mentality: is try to perfect it so much in the simulator that you're really not going to crash too much unless you're just showing off. Um, well, um, so you say you say Eric that you're you're trying to go back since a little bit, uh, and and it sounds like like you know you're gearing up, trying to test new stuff. So, are you at a point where you want to go? You know, uh, you know, we know that you don't want to go into competition anymore, but you know, just go back to hobby flying. You know, attend events and start gearing up your your stuff, and you know, getting back into the hobby. Yeah, you know, I, I would definitely say I've gotten back into the hobby. Uh, at this point, really more with airplanes than anything else. I've got a handful of 40% and 35%. So I've got a turbine that I'm getting ready to build here pretty shortly. Ooh. But, uh, yeah, I've just been trying to diversify my holdings in RC a little bit. Nice, ever Since nice. I was a kid, I always really thought the giant-scale aerobatic stuff was just the coolest thing ever. So I ended up getting myself a truck and trailer set up and a couple of big planes and went balls out with that for a while <laughs> nice nice so you say you say you're because i saw you at that uh you know that chicago event but you say that you are actually north so more like northern wisconsin uh it's southeastern wisconsin just about 45 minutes north of milwaukee okay okay but you still plan to attend the uh the chicago area events and uh you know uh, yeah because i plan I, to hit some of the local stuff out here i know there's one in uh western wisconsin called comrose event that's a big big airplane sort of thing i might try and hit that one next year there's the chicago one some of the other local stuff i'll be around cool cool yeah i definitely uh wanna wanna meet up with you again and uh you know actually see you fly have a little bit more more conversation i mean it, because i i you you um uh, uh, you know, you left me wanting to see more of that flight. I mean, you're you're flying awesome. So I hope that we can, uh, you know, meet up again at uh, at one of the events next year for sure. Yeah, absolutely. That'd be a blast. Yeah. Are you thinking about going to Wircha? Uh, we'll see. We'll see what the future holds. My wife and I are planning on having a baby this year, so I may be a little busier this year than usual. Oh, yeah. That 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 will definitely change your plans for sure. Yeah, we'll see. Like I said, I've got my own little private flying site here, so even if I can't do any traveling, I've got all the space I need for my personal flying. Yeah, that's pretty cool. You know, that's pretty cool that you that you actually have have a place to fly at. Uh, you know, my my backyard. Of course, you know my skills are not as uh, you know as uh, polished as yours. You could probably fly fly something bigger in the same space that I have, but uh, I think that you know I cannot fly uh, not even my three sixty in that space. Uh, well, 420, although I'm pretty sure that if I had like, you know, like more skills, I'm pretty sure that an M2 would be very, very flyable. But, you know, I would need to to be able to control it better. But, you know, having having your own place to fly, you know, it's definitely awesome. You can just crank out, uh, uh, charge a few batteries and go and just have a few bang a few flights and go back and go back to life. I mean, that's pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, and then I've actually just got a full club about 15 minutes away also, so I'm definitely spoiled when it comes to flying sites these days. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, that that's pretty cool. I still have to drive 
I think it's like 20, 20, 25 minutes to my club. I do have a park nearby, but I don't want to fly on parks anymore. You know, with all the, the yeah, stuff that's going sketchy. on. Yeah. Yeah, it's not. Although although the last time that I did it was actually pretty good because, you know, I found these couple kids that came in and started asking questions. And um, so that was cool. You know, that was cool to actually expose the hobby to to more people. But, yeah, it gets, you know, people walking around with their dogs and they don't care that you're flying. <laughs> they just walk right through where you're flying and you have to keep it all hovering way, way up just to make sure that they get out of the way or something. So, yeah. Yeah, it's not it's not as 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 good. Yeah, it's always a good idea to have a spotter when you're flying in a more public area like that. Yeah, yeah. My problem is that I usually have just Saturday mornings to fly, and I just go alone. So I just go, you know, early in the morning, and I just try to get my flying uh, at that time. So I usually don't have someone to spot with me. Sometimes I took one of my sons. My oldest son was the one that usually went with me, but now he's in college, so of course he's. He's he's pretty much gone, and uh, and the other one uh, is not is not as accommodating to go with me. So, so I usually have to go alone. <laughs> you haven't bribed him well enough, is what it is. I know, yeah, but no, he's he's more interested into. Well, they're going to they're going to they're going to come crashing down on me and yell at me if that, if I say soccer. But they're more interested. He's more interested in football because that's how they want me to say it. So yeah, he's he's very much into that, and uh, he'll probably want to try out for for a team next season and see what happens. But uh, but yeah, he's 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 much into that, and which which is not good for me because usually games are on Saturdays. So last season that he played, it was very difficult to try to schedule both my flying time and going to his games. So we'll have to see. <laughs> that that was not good either. <sighs> Said it before, Javier's going to be leaving the hobby soon. <laughs> no 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 i know i know i have too much gundams but no not yet <laughs> no, i'm too much invested i really really want to fly that crack and oh man that's been that's been my and you know ever since it came out and and i saw it at urcha because you know the day that the the year that it came out was one of the years that i went to urcha and, uh, you know, the flight line was just littered with them. You know, every other flight line, there was a cracking up in the sky. And you could see them because they're bright, this bright orange. So you could just see them, you know, lit up the sky. And it's been my dream helicopter ever since I saw it. And uh, I'm, I'm so happy. I really want to fly it. Yeah, I was quite thankful they weren't quite as popular here. <laughs> <laughs> So, Eric, as being as in the hobby as long as you have been, what do you think about the state of the hobby right now? Uh, well, when I went to Urcha last year, I was shocked at how much smaller it was. It seemed like it was maybe a third or like half what it used to be at its peak. But that's mm-hmm. both good and bad. I think uh, getting some of the corporate influence out of it would be nice, as always. You know, it seemed like this year there was a lot more flight stations. Didn't seem like anybody was really waiting to fly. There's quite a bit of open space. Yeah, but uh, in general, I mean, I'm happy. It's uh, it's still going. I remember for quite a while there was a Facebook campaign to keep RC helis alive, and it seemed like all the FAA regulations here might end up just killing things altogether. That was kind of becoming an issue as I was getting out of it. It seemed like the FAA wanted to just clamp down on RC altogether, and I see now there's like remote ID modules coming on the near horizon. 
Yeah. So, not a huge fan of that. Nope. Is that basically what's going on in Canada with the whole Mac thing? Are they kind of clamping down there also now? Yeah, we're a couple of years behind, but uh, yeah, that's kind of what's happening out here is the Transport Canada is really kind of screwing us over and what what made it a little bit worse for us and i, I won't go into too much detail because we've talked about it way too much on the podcast you know, over the last year as it is but essentially there was a bit of a quite literally a paper uh paper trail error that mac made and that totally screwed us over for the whole country and there was actually a period of time where we were, yeah, and it was literally a paper trail error and actually, well, computer error is literally what it was. It was on our, on our computer database. There was some mix-ups on there. And literally every single club in Canada was shut down for about a month and a half. And to this day, a year since, there are still some clubs that have not gotten permission to fly back out or to be flying again. And, uh, it's, it's pretty sad. It's very, very frustrating. And unfortunately, in my opinion, Mac seems to be more worried about trying to save Mac than they are about trying to help save the hobby. And it's one of the reasons why I have decided I do not want to give Mac any more of my money this year at this point anyways, unless I see some major, major improvement. And, but yeah, I don't blame it there. It seems like at this point you got no choice but to go rogue like that. Yep, yep. So I do have my AMA because you, you know, I did go to Urcha last year for the first time ever in my life, and it was. In, it's interesting that you're saying that it was, you know, about a third of the size, and I know that it was quite a bit smaller from back in the real popular days. But I it's don't still recall like, what the final pilot count was. I want to yeah. say at a peak it was maybe like just just over a thousand or like eleven hundred or something. This year? Maybe it was bigger. Or, or this last year? No, it was uh, this last year. Years. It was less than yeah, that. This past yeah, year in was... past years. Yeah. But to me, it was still quite large. But then that's the biggest fun fly that I've ever been to, right? And that's that's one of the reasons why I sort of ask, what do you think about what the state of the hobby is in, like, right now? Whether you, yeah, you, know, you see it actually get uh, a little bit better even as well? You know, is it starting to pick back up, do you think? Or is it totally I would say it's probably... I would say it's probably safely tested the bottom of the, the market there for helicopters and stuff now. It seems like airplanes haven't really slumped off too much. There seems to be quite a bit of development there, and especially in jets lately. But um, Oh, really? You know, Urcha last year was comparable to what a big regional event used to be. Okay. But that being said, that's not necessarily the worst thing. Because mm-hmm. I guess that's one of the things I do wonder. Like, I... I, I... I'll be honest, I don't think it's ever going to get back to what we used to have in that peak time. I mean, I got I got started just before that real, before everything really hit its peak, you know, right around those first T-Rex 450. My, my first decent helicopter was a Blade 400, right? And, mm-hmm. and around that age and that, around that time, I got I started just, a, just a, you know, about a year before the Blade 400 came out. And that was sort of, it was definitely really at its high peak at that point. I mean, every seemed like everybody and their dog had a T-Rex 450. And I think that's when Urcha was probably at its largest as well. And I wonder, I like, do you really think that we would ever get back to those numbers or not? 
Probably not. What I see is I think that the hobby is going to trend more towards more dedicated people that really want to do it just for the sake of doing it. I think one of the things that both built the hobby up and killed it was things became a little bit too accessible and too easy where by taking some of the mm-hmm. challenge out of it, maybe it took some of you know the reward out of it too for people that would have gotten into it and maybe had they built something, set it up and you know finally got it flying, maybe it would have been worth more versus just something they pulled out of a box and you know they flew it a couple of times and whatever, bored with it. Mm-hmm. That could be a part of it, but I think the drone stuff really took probably a big portion of the potential RC people and put them into drones. Mm-hmm. And there seems to potentially be kind of a different market of people altogether when you talk about the, the drone stuff, like FPV and like freestyle and things yeah. of that nature. Yeah, yeah. Did you ever get into that too or not? I did get one a couple of years ago just to mess around with it. And personally, to me, it felt more like full-scale flying than anything radio control. It felt almost like you're flying on you know Microsoft Flight Simulator and you start getting motion sickness with the goggles on. It was pretty interesting. Yeah. I think that's one of the attractions to it, though, too, is it's you know the closest thing to full-scale flying is you can get without being actually in a full-scale plane. Yeah, absolutely. But I do, you know, going back to what I was thinking earlier, um, you talk about the things getting a little bit easy, little almost too easy kind of thing. And that made me, reminded me of a post that Finless Bob actually had posted in the RC Heli Hangout a couple of years ago. And it really set everybody off. And, and he made the comment of, in his mind, fly barless in some ways was probably almost like the start of the decline of, of the helicopter because in some ways, fly bar. Oh, yeah, you can really absolutely did make, it make too the easy. argument that, especially yeah. with modern day equipment, you know, when I flew Tony's V bar setup, I was doing reversing pirouetting TikToks, and there was, you know, virtually no pilot effort. Whereas, you know, back in my day, sounded like an old man here. Back in my <laughs> day, when you were to do that, something like a B Stux, that was very challenging. That took a lot of pilot skill. I think if you took the average guy that's flying nowadays and gave him, you know, what we had back then, it, it would absolutely make a difference negatively for him. So, I think there's a certain element of that, like you said, you take away the need for skill, and it it takes away the certain person that's just going to persevere through it versus someone that's looking for the quick fix, you know, like playing a mm-hmm. video game on codes versus playing on the maximum, you know, Japanese language difficulty level for a horror game or something. Yeah. I mean, and, and that's not to say that some of these guys, like I remember at Urcha this year, just watching Kenny Ko doing those pirouetting TikToks, literally only a few inches off the ground. And, you know, and as his tail is coming around, he's, he's cutting the grass and he's placing it there. It's not like it's just randomly happens to be there. He was putting it in that location and holding it there. He, there's still yeah, a absolutely. huge amount yeah, of skill to do that. Having the great gear stuff like, oh yeah, I, I don't, don't take that. Like I'm and, saying, these guys aren't yeah. good or anything. They're certainly good what they're doing, but. Uh, and, and I, and that's what I'm trying to say too. Is much, not much to take away the, from the skill. Impressive. Absolutely. And I think that's a pro- natural progression of the hobby, and I think that's a good thing for the hobby too. And I guess, it's, and that's where sometimes I wonder whether it's a bit of a double-edged sword too of the thing of the, you know, for example, the uh, the 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 invention of the fly barless controller or flight controller. You know, it, it's it it did make the hobby a lot more accessible for a lot of people, and there are people that are still in the hobby to this day because of that. But at the same time, I think in some ways it also has made it a little bit easier. I mean, I remember spending hours in front of my old T-Rex 600 ESP trying to get that fly bar 
head exactly as yeah, you know, straight like and perfect uh, as possible. With, with the Avant stuff, you know, with the programmable fly bar head, there used mm-hmm. to be quite an art to doing the setup work. You know, it was very steampunk compared to the electronic simplicity we have nowadays, you know, adjusting the ratios on different things to get the feel you were looking for, tweaking the blades, tweaking the paddles, tweaking yep. the fly bar length. I mean, there's, there was a lot that went into it, especially if you were hardcore to the point that you're doing F3C, FAI. Those guys were masters of you know, tweaking oh, the head yeah. like that. Yeah, absolutely. So just you know, just that lack of an aspect of it, you know, it's it, it's almost like you could liken the modern electric flybarless helicopter to something like a Tesla versus you know the old school flybar setup being like an old <laughs> you know second gen Camaro or something. Yeah, yeah. So it, it's, it's a more techie aspect versus a mechanical aspect. So I think that has different draw with people too. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not saying that it was a ter- that is a terrible thing in the, the way we are now. It really isn't. I mean, I'm not going to say I agree with everything. I mean, we were having a, a, I was having a discussion with somebody just uh, a few weeks ago about that. Uh, what's it called? The H1 uh, from FW, that FW450 with this H1 something or other flight controller. And it's literally, it's got a button. You push the button and the helicopter will flip upside down. You push the button again or flick a switch to the, to the other direction and it puts the helicopter back upright. And then all you need to do is, you know, put give it full pirouette, flick the switch one way and then the other way, and the helicopter's doing a pirouette flip for you. And I'm going, man, is that cool? Sure. Is the technology good? Definitely I mean, changes it's, things. It's, you go from being, you know, a, a pilot to being an operator in my mind. Yeah. You're not and, really flying and, and you're pressing the button. And I'm not, I'm not opposed to the technology. I'm really not. And I think it's, you know, cause there's, there's a, a good purpose and a good reason to have some of that technology. But at the same time, it's like, man, you're turning it into just a live video game in some ways. Right. And is that always a good thing either? I don't know. I, I honestly, in some ways, I just don't know. I guess it's one of those things that time will tell, right? definitely you know draws a different sort of person like we were saying you know somebody that's looking for the quick fix versus somebody that really wants to be hardcore and learn everything about it and just you know spend hours and hours learning and yeah it's definitely a different sort of clientele yeah yeah so and like i say i don't want to say as bad i know i'm sounding like an old man here too (laughs) you are an old man (laughs) so am i yeah i know (laughs) But at the same time, it's it, it does make me wonder sometimes. I, I do, I really do wonder sometimes how I, I do miss some of the old days. And once again, that makes me sound like an old man saying that I miss some of the old days. But <laughs> there seemed like a little bit more uh, dedication of of actually putting the work in to actually go and do it. You know. And it's a different sense of accomplishment when you do that is. level of work versus when it's just yes. instant gratification. Yeah, yeah. And I, like I say, I really don't want to go and start talking down about some of these young new guys that are getting into it now either. Because, man, the, the, you put some of those young guys. I would love to actually see what some of these young guys. Like, you, you put a guy like Kenny Cole. That's the thing. It's not even to talk and, down against anybody. No. It's just saying, you know, because the equipment's so much better, it just allows you to raise the bar that much higher. You and know, that's how exactly much it. Can you push it now? Like you put a guy like him and stick him on a flybard heli, man. I would love to see what he could do with a flybard heli. 
I mean, I think that would be really. I'm sure cool it'd look pretty much the same. You know, when you get to that level of skill, yeah, it, they can make some pretty bad stuff look amazing. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And of course, I remember you uh, saying that all the time too. Remember, do you remember the? Actually, I think they're actually still around. Banana hobbies. And he used to have some of these cheap helicopters. And the guy that flew them, man, he could make those things look like a good helicopter. And I remember flying a couple. They were awful flying machines. <laughs> and yet, they looked so good on the video all the time. <laughs> yeah, that happens a lot. Oh. These people can make anything look amazing. Yep, yep. Anyways, I think that's it for questions that I had. Javier? Well, yeah, I think uh, I think that was it uh, from my end as well. Um, I don't think uh, I don't think I have anything else, but uh, I think that it was that it was a good episode. Uh, trying to get to know you and uh, get to uh, know a little bit of uh, of what you did. I personally haven't haven't heard uh, from you, and it was awesome. You know, it's awesome to you know really meet uh, people in the hobby. That's what I've always you know drawn me. Yep to this hobby again and again, you know, just meeting awesome people. Um, this podcast has really been a uh, great avenue to get to, to meet more people, to get to know their stories. You know, that, that, that story of you just classifying as a wild card and just practicing for it and getting in and, you know, yeah, that, that's, that pretty cool. that's, that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. That's a pretty cool story. So just want to uh, thank you, Eric, for being uh, here with us, for spending a little bit of time to chat about you know what you've done and and about the hobby and uh, hopefully for sure as I said I hope to see you again at uh, one of the events uh, this uh, this coming year well this coming season that was a good time thanks for having me on I appreciate it yeah no problem at all um, it was it was really good so I think that that takes us to the end of uh, today's episode so um, I think Darren that it's time for people to send all hate mail to you. So it's time for you to give out your contact information. Well, I say it every week, every month. You can try and contact me on Facebook. Don't expect an immediate response, but you're welcome to try. Um, if you're looking for a quicker response, the best way to go and contact me is rchellydarren at gmail.com. Fair enough. You know, uh, an, an email is a good avenue to send hate mail. So, so that's that's <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. that still uh, you know gets into the purpose. So that's cool. All right, uh, Eric. If someone wants to get in touch with you, uh, I don't know how active you are on on social media. If you're on Facebook or not, or um, uh, you know, if someone wants to contact you, uh, how would they do that? Oh, sure. Yeah, I'm on Facebook. Uh, just Eric Brandenburg on there. All right. And uh, if someone wants to get in touch with me, again, all hate mail, send it to uh, RC Halley Darren, please. Not to me. <laughs> um, so um, you can talk, contact me via toadiescoil at gmail.com. Um, um, well, I actually unloaded the... Uh, it was taking too much space. Um, I couldn't... Uh, I, I couldn't do my system update on my phone anymore. So I actually offloaded uh, Instagram from, from my phone. So I haven't watched Instagram in a while. But, uh, but I still check uh, Hell Freak every so often that, yes, it still exists. And yet, uh, and still yet, uh, people post there. So um, Toadie's called there as well. 
I'm also, I think that my most active place is uh, YouTube. You can reach there, tinyurl.com slash That'll get you to my landing page, and I try to answer all of my comments. Okay, so I guess that takes us to the end of the episode. I want to thank everyone for listening and downloading this podcast. I want to thank Eric for joining us today again, and I think it's time to bid adieu. See ya. See ya. Later.